Hello and welcome to Socialism, the Marxist podcast from the Socialist Party. What is going on in the Scottish National Party? Why are its leaders embroiled in a feud? And what does it mean for the independence movement? What approach should socialists take to such disputes? And how do socialists see the struggle for Scottish independence? What can the working class, confronted by a Tory COVID austerity tsunami, take away from these events? This episode of Socialism looks at how the war in the SNP is exposing the rottenness of the nationalist leadership. Hello, today we're joined by Matt Dobson, a member of the Executive Committee of the Socialist Party Scotland, that's the sister party of the Socialist Party in England and Wales, and both part of the Committee for a Workers International. Hey Matt. Hi Sarah. And thanks for joining us today. The reason that we're focusing on Scotland today is that up until Harry and Meghan took over, what looked like another family feud was dominating the news cycle, and that was the one within the Scottish National Party. And we're hoping that you can today bring us some Marxist analysis of these events that have been taking place in the SNP from a working class viewpoint, because we think that's going to help us make sense of it all. So we've been hearing about hearings and denunciations, divisions and selections and more. What's going on in the SNP, Matt? Are there major differences in the politics of the two camps that are emerging? Are there different ideas about the way forward for Scotland between the Sturgeon and the Salmon side? Can you cast some light on all of this for us, please? Yes, it's really a civil war, factional civil warfare that has dominated the political and press agenda, not just in Scotland, but probably in the UK media. And what you have is a parliamentary inquiry in the Scottish Parliament into the Scottish government's handling of sexual harassment allegations against former SNP First Minister Alex Salmond. And you've had lengthy evidence given by Salmond and then obviously Nicola Sturgeon, who's the current First Minister in the Scottish National Party government, both given hours of evidence. On the one side, Salmond has said that there's a witch hunt being whipped up against him by the Scottish government, the Scottish legal establishment and the civil service. He says that Scotland's leadership has failed and that the current SNP leadership wanted him jailed. Sturgeon, on the other hand, dismisses this all as an absurd conspiracy theory. And this very bitter struggle has now spilled out into the broader independence movement. And really the bloodletting started way back in 2018 when the Scottish government began investigating complaints of sexual harassment against Alex Salmon that were brought by two female civil servants. And obviously, this was around the time of the Me Too movement in society. There were new procedures that were drawn up by the Scottish government for handling complaints of this nature. And basically, a report was handed to the police who began their own investigation into the actions of Alex Salmond. And Salmond responded to this by taking the Scottish government to court over the way that their investigation was handled. And basically, there was then a judicial review process because it emerged that the senior civil servant who was conducting the inquiry had had previous contact and previous discussions with the two complainants that had come forward. And obviously that means that the Scottish government had acted in not just a biased way, 
but an illegal way in the way that they conducted the investigation. So that's what the parliamentary inquiry is into. And the result of that judicial review was that Alex Salmond was awarded £600,000 in public money to cover his legal costs. Now, obviously, Sturgeon, in her evidence last week, she admitted that the Scottish government and the way that they handled the investigation had made a catastrophic mistake. But the questions are being raised. Well, how was this mistake made? But also, why, if they knew that the mistake was made, did her government continue to defend the case during the process of judicial review throughout 2018? Because more and more evidence has emerged that their own lawyers, their own legal team were saying to them, look, this case is unwinnable, that you've politicised this case in a factional war. And also it's emerged that the Scottish government withheld key information from their own lawyers who were trying to defend them in the judicial review. Now, obviously, after Salmon won the judicial review case, there was then a criminal trial in 2019. The police charged Alex Salmond with 14 counts of sexual assault, including attempted rape. And there was a jury trial which gave a verdict in March 2020. Now, Salmond was found not guilty on 12 counts. In Scotland, we have a verdict also called not proven, and one of the charges was dropped. I just want to make this very clear. It has to be said from Alex Salmond's own evidence and the proceedings of the trial in the High Court that it's absolutely clear that Salmond, although the verdict found him acquitted of the serious charges, that the trial and the evidence in the trial, including his own evidence, it was clear that Salmond acted in an extremely sexist, predatory and unacceptable manner towards women that came forward with complaints. But of course, as a result of the judicial review and also the criminal trial, the opposition parties in the Scottish Parliament, and also Salmond himself, then demanded parliamentary inquiries. And the question is raised by these inquiries and by this scandal, whether Sturgeon, as the first minister, broke the ministerial code in the way that the initial investigation took place. Parallel to the current parliamentary inquiry is also a judicial inquiry led by Judge Hamilton. So that is also reporting in a couple of weeks over whether Sturgeon broke the ministerial code. Now, a theme of this development has been the Scottish government refusing to release key evidence you know, of meetings and other evidence to the parliamentary inquiry. And that's despite two votes in the Scottish Parliament, majority votes saying that they need to release this evidence. And the evidence that has been released has been incomplete and extremely slow. Now, it's still possible that either the Hamilton inquiry or even the parliamentary inquiry could find that Sturgeon did break the ministerial code and that would raise the question of her resigning as the First Minister. And also, it would have implications for those around her who acted, you know, we would say, in a conspiratorial way during the investigation and the case. But the way things are played out, it seems that it's most likely that Sturgeon will continue to lead the SNP into May the 6th. Now, you raised an important question about the political differences in this civil war. And the most important thing to point out is that both sides agree on capitalism. They're both capitalist politicians. 
sturgeon and salmon. There were no disagreement over those issues. On previous podcasts, we've pointed to the role of Sturgeon's SNP government being no ally to the workers' movement, implementing the cuts from the Tories to balance the books. And also you'd say that Sturgeon, really since the Brexit referendum, has moved the SNP to the right. But of course, it must be remembered that Alex Salmond, who was the first minister from 2007 until 2014, was also a capitalist politician who pursued the same strategy of implementing Tory cuts, but also his main case for independence laid out in the 2014 white paper outlined a reduction in corporation tax. You know, so that shows that he is also a big business politician. The main difference is a tactical difference as to how to respond to the British state and the Tory Johnson government's intransigence over the question of a second independence referendum. Sturgeon is increasingly seen as too timid, and the people around her, like Ian Blackford, the leader of the Westminster SNP, that they just want a legal referendum negotiated with Boris Johnson. Salmond, who's actually outside the SNP at the moment because he had to resign, but the people inside the SNP who support him, including Joanna Cherry and Kenny McCaskill, they take a slightly more combative approach and would criticise the timidity of Sturgeon. There are also divisions over the Gender Recognition Act. Cherry and Mac McCaskill do not support the right of trans people to self-identify, but both sides in that debate fail to put forward a class position, you know, the need for a united struggle of all against oppression. And really, you could begin to see, maybe not before the election, but certainly afterwards, that this current division could crystallise into a split with a kind of populist wing splitting away around Cherry, McCaskill and Salmond. And even before the election, the possibility isn't ruled out that Salmond could stand on the regional list against the SNP on a pro-independence ticket. So that kind of goes into all the ramifications and current events with the civil war. Thanks, Matt. So my next question was going to be, which side does the Socialist Party Scotland take in this feud? But I think you've made the case why that question is not relevant here. (laughs) You know, explaining it that both sides are defenders of capitalism. And I suppose in some ways it echoes the splits and the potential splits that are taking place in many capitalist parties at the moment, given the crisis of capitalism and, you know, the lack of a clear way forward for the leadership of the capitalist class. But you mentioned there, you know, about... You know, part of it is tactics on the question of independence and a referendum. It was mentioned, you know, it's been in the news the last few days that there's been the first sign of a fall in support in the polls for independence. So do you think it's accurate or do you think there's a bit of jumping to conclusions too quickly if, you know, commentators are talking about the death knell of the independence movement given these developments? Or does it, do you think, at least weaken the independence movement? How do you think these events relate to that movement? It's absolutely clear, Sarah, that both sides have inflicted major damage on each other. And obviously, in relation to your previous point, we don't give an iota of support to either side. We put forward a socialist, an independent position for the working class. We call for a new workers' party in Scotland based on the trade unions that would fight for a socialist programme. And I think that there's no doubt, and some of the recent polls, some of them are not weighted, so they have to be taken with a pinch of salt, but it's definitely the case that there's been a certain blow to support for independence in the context 
of historic high support for independence. So I think there's now been over 20 polls in the last two years showing support around about 55% for independence. Now, in the last couple of weeks, that's dropped a few percentage points, not a major drop, a significant drop nonetheless. It's not surprising, really, because, you know, working class people and generally people in society of all classes struggling with the impact of the pandemic. But also we're looking at this war and are seeing, you know, the Scottish government and the SNP leadership behaving in a very secretive manner. They're also repelled by the actions of Salmond. And questions are raised in people's minds about the question of an SNP-controlled independence. And obviously, we said all along, and we've pointed to their record on austerity and capitalism with this, you know, we raised this in the 2014 referendum, that the pro-capitalist nationalist leadership, the SNP leadership, are, in the final analysis, a barrier to the struggle for democratic rights and independence. And this whole civil war and scandal obviously adds to that position. However, you know, the social conditions that exist in society that mean that the most combative layers of the working class and youth still look towards independence as a way out of capitalist misery and austerity means that there hasn't been a huge collapse in support for independence. Damage has been inflicted, but there is still very high support for independence. We'll have to see how things develop, but it's absolutely clear as well, despite the kind of glee of the Johnson government, the Tories and the Scottish Parliament, and also obviously Labour pursuing the issue, that the SNP and Sturgeon are still on to win the Scottish election on May the 6th, possibly even with their own majority and certainly a majority of the pro-independence parties, if you include the Greens. And in some ways, the pandemic and the huge consequences of the pandemic still the main issue in people's minds. And the question of the recovery, you know, what kind of recovery are we going to see? Those are key questions for the working class in Scotland. And that, in a way, does mean that there's less attention on what has taken place in the SNP civil war. Thanks, Matt. That's really useful insight into what's going on. I mean, I suppose people might be thinking, and there'd be hope, I imagine, amongst the other parties in the Scottish Parliament, that this feud in the SNP might create opportunities for them. Labour's just got a new leadership, hasn't it? What would your take on that be? Well, as I said earlier, obviously the Tories were very vocal. They're the second party in the Scottish Parliament. They were very vocal in terms of calling for Sturgeon to resign. And I think it's still the plan that the Tories will put a vote of no confidence into the Scottish Parliament, which probably will not succeed because the Scottish government has a majority with the support of the Greens. Labour were slightly more cautious in terms of, you know, let's wait for the evidence to come out. But they obviously still raise the issue. But like you said... Recently, the Scottish Labour Party had a leadership contest and really this confirmed the trend of the millionaire tendency, the right-wing, pro-capitalist, Blairite millionaire tendency taking back control of the Labour Party. A few months ago, Richard Leonard, who came from the left of the party, resigned basically at the request of Labour's big business backers and Keir Starmer. There was then a leadership contest, which was then won quite convincingly by Anna Sawa, who is actually a millionaire. 
and Starwar's programme is to drag the Labour Party back to the right and his position on the national question is to completely deny the right to self-determination, completely rule out the question of a second independence referendum and also obviously opposed to independence. So it's actually likely that Labour will probably lose support in the forthcoming election. So in terms of how it benefits other parties, you know, we expect that the Greens maybe will increase their number of seats but the Tories and Labour really, because of their record and because of their programme on austerity, but also on the national question, will not be able to challenge the SNP in a serious way, which means that it's a huge vacuum in Scottish society, in Scottish politics for a principled working class pro-socialist alternative, which is why it's a serious mistake, by the way, for ex-socialist MSPs, like unfortunately Tommy Sheridan, to call for a vote for the SNP in the constituencies and then also on the list raised the question of supporting Alex Salmond or a pro-independence but not pro-socialist alternative on the list. And you know, Tommy's also made the mistake of backing Alex Salmond during this civil war as well, despite you know Salmond's clear anti-working class politics. So that is a mistake and that's all the more reason why we need a principled new workers' party. And that's one of the reasons why we're challenging in the Scottish Parliament elections on a wide basis. We're standing in Glasgow, the West Scotland, the Highlands and Islands, and seats in Aberdeen and Dundee. We're putting forward a socialist case to over a million voters in the Scottish Parliament election, standing as the Scottish Trade Unionist and Socialist Coalition. And I guess that leads us on to the last thing really that I wanted to ask you about this whole situation, which is, you know, it's dominating the news, but so is the COVID crisis, the poverty crisis, the austerity crisis are dominating people's lives. So what are the main takeaways from these events for working class people looking to escape the ongoing Tory COVID austerity onslaught and the tsunami of cuts that are coming down the line as indicated by the pro-billionaire budget last week? Yes, I think that that's a very important question. You know, we've had now nearly 12 months of this pandemic where the Scottish government fundamentally have made, with some slight differences, but all the same mistakes as the Tories in terms of mishandling the pandemic, the high care home rate death in Scotland, Scotland having an overall death rate, which is one of the highest in Europe, the social crisis, which is erupting in Scottish society in terms of poverty, in terms of, you know, widespread food bank usage, the insecurity over wages and work, the drug epidemic crisis, and also the concern about the strain on public services from the cuts. Now, you were raising about the budget, and the Tories were, you know, raising in the Parliament in Westminster, you know, there's £1.2 extra billion pounds for Scotland. That will have a certain effect. The Scottish budget is being discussed this week and will likely be agreed between parties like the SNP and the Greens. There are some things in the budget which temporarily will have an impact. So there's going to be a payment for people who receive council tax benefit of £130. Public sector workers who earn under £25,000 a year will be getting a 4% pay rise in Scotland if the budget is agreed and cuts to services are slightly less than they were last year, 
and the extra money that's coming from Westminster means that they'll be slightly less than what they were projected a few weeks ago. But as we know, because of the conditions of capitalism, you know, the Tories are not going to be able to borrow forever. There will be a COVID bill implemented on the working class, including in Scotland. Despite the fact there's extra money, the SNP, you know, are not giving a pay rise to care workers who work in the private sector. They oppose the collective bargaining of care workers. Really, public sector workers need a pay rise of 15% to reflect their role in society, but also what they've lost through austerity. There will still be cuts in the councils because of the scale of the crisis. The furlough scheme is still, you know, a cut in wages, and it's an open question as to whether even the growth forecasts for recovery, whether they're too optimistic and the major problems that exist in the Scottish economy, which was in recession even before the pandemic and, you know, industries like hospitality, tourism and retail, which, you know, are key bedrocks of the Scottish economy, you know, whether they'll be able to recover. And our position is this. We say that actually the SNP and the Scottish government are failing to use the powers that they have, the financial powers... The Scottish Parliament can borrow money, it can use reserves and underspends, but also importantly, it could set a no-cuts budget and wage a struggle against the Tories in Westminster, force them into another U-turn and not just get an extra one billion, but demand the three to four billion that's been stolen from Scotland by Tory cuts and austerity. You know, mobilize a mass movement, a mass campaign of the working class in Scotland, you know, unite with the trade unions to force a class struggle against the Tories. And that struggle against the cuts could be linked to the struggle for democratic rights, could be linked to the demand for a second independence referendum. But of course, Sturgeon's biggest fear is not Alex Salmond, is actually the power of the working class, whether the SNP can rein in the combative aspirations of working class people, radicalised young people who want to fight and struggle against the Tories and want to fight to change society. They have a morbid fear of that development, which is why they are so timid in terms of their position on the national question, but also on the question of capitalist austerity. So what is the way out for the working class? Well, we have to rely on our own strength. As I said earlier, a new mass workers' party is needed in Scotland based on the mass organisations of the working class, the trade unions in Scotland, which have over 600,000 members and that have grown during the pandemic. You know, a force that was able to put forward a socialist position on the national question, calling for an independent socialist Scotland, but also calling for support for the struggles of working class people in England and Wales, in Ireland, calling for a voluntary socialist confederation of an independent socialist Scotland, England, Wales and Ireland. You know, uniting the working class in struggle against capitalist austerity and also for democratic rights, which is what we're flying the banner for. Really, this crisis, this civil war in the SNP, exposes the rotten underbelly of the capitalist nationalist leadership and really working class people who face many struggles, many frustrations and are disgusted by the corruption, the sleaze, but also by the common misery that they face because of the policies of the Tories in Westminster, but also the Scottish government, the SNP who've been in power for 14 years, who are in reality the political establishment in Scotland, but also the failure to oppose by the Blairites in the Labour Party in Scotland. So really we need a socialist alternative, 
based on the organised working class, based on the trade unions, which is why we're standing as the trade union and a socialist coalition in Scotland, but also why we're trying to build Socialist Party Scotland as a principled socialist alternative. That's brilliant, Matt. Thank you very much. And we really appreciate you taking time out because it sounds like socialists in Scotland have got their hands full kind of trying to get these ideas out there and fighting in the elections and, you know, trying to offer a way forward for working class people. So we really do appreciate you coming on the podcast today and explaining all of that to us from Glasgow. Take care. Good luck. Thanks, Sarah. Bye then. As always, if you like what you've heard, Recommend us to your co-workers and friends. Donate to help fund us. And if you agree, join the Socialists. Socialism is produced by the Socialist Party, the England and Wales section of the Committee for Workers International. Today we heard from Matt Dobson speaking to Sarah Sachs-Eldridge and I'm Mark Best. This episode was edited by Nick Hart. You can find further reading in the notes in your podcast app and at socialistparty.org.uk forward slash podcast. If you want to get in touch, email socialismpodcast at socialistparty.org.uk. Do you agree with the policies and actions the Socialist Party is fighting for? Now is the time. Apply to join at socialistparty.org.uk forward slash join. If you live outside England and Wales and want to join the fight for socialism in your country, contact the Committee for Workers International by visiting socialistworld.net. Socialism, the podcast, has no wealthy backers. We rely on funding from the working class, which maintains our political independence. So to help us take the fight to the capitalists, you can make a regular donation or a one-off payment at socialistparty.org.uk forward slash donate. Until next time, solidarity. Solidarity.